Good morning and to continue with the idea of habits that I have found so far in my experimentation with habits to be the most the biggest needle movers I have got to start with diet because not only was it the first thing I did but it also is then and has remained the biggest needle mover and I believe that all the other habits that I'll talk about are as important and you can't do everything with diet alone for sure but it's possibly the easiest place to start, it's the most obvious place to start and in many ways it can be the limiting factor because if you change all the other things and do all the other habits but not diet there's only so much progress that can be made it's not always true some people do manage with a shit diet to have amazing lives but I think it's still one of the most fraught with issues anyway that's all a bit of an unnecessary preamble and maybe it's not even true maybe the other ones are equal big needle movers but let me proceed with diet the general the the obvious thing that we forget because in our culture food is all about social and um, how attractive the food looks and whether it's expensive or not whether it's organic or not and how it looks in a magazine and how the chefs prepared it and there's whole multi-million dollar industries multiple ones related to this topic and yet at its very essence what is food food is what our bodies have to have in order to continue thriving it's the nutrients the building blocks So even a plant in your living room requires sunlight, water and certain nutrients and probably other things. They're the things required for life and then there's the bare minimum required to keep you alive so that you might be really sick but at least you're still alive and then there's the optimum required to not only keep you alive but allow you to be at your best and allow you a certain longevity allow you to repair yourself when you're injured or damaged allow you to um, allow your cells to clear out the crap and let in more nutrients allow the molecules in your body to be formed and circulate and transported allow your hormones to work your neurotransmitters to work the cell membranes to transport the proper ions one way and the other way across the cell membranes your blood to circulate there to be enough iron in your hemoglobin all this multitude of physiological and biochemical processes require raw materials and that is what food is there's more above and beyond food that we require sunlight air water and other elemental things but i'm not going to go into that right now but food if you if you're not eating the nutrients that your body has to have you're not going to be thriving 
And where can you get those nutrients? Well, <laughs> there's all sorts of different um, ways people eat. But at the basic root of it, we must have the things we need. And contrary to what some media publications have published and what a lot of people believe, we can find that most safely and most appropriately in animal foods. If we were to eat nose to tail, truly nose to tail, meaning that aside from the gallbladder and possibly hooves, we actually do eat every part of an animal, and in particular, the most nutrient-dense parts of the animal, which are the liver, kidney, brain, and other organs, and skin, and collagen, and bone, which we don't necessarily actually eat, but we can um, create bone broth from, and the marrow, and the fat, we can obtain from animal foods all the vitamins, micronutrients that we require for life. And we can obtain them without any um, toxins or anti-nutrients being in the food. That is assuming that we are eating animal foods that haven't been contaminated, which is a big if, because, for example, if we're eating chicken, conventionally raised, battery-farmed chicken, that is contaminated. If we're eating conventionally produced eggs, that's contaminated. If we're eating cows that come that finish their lives in a feedlot, that's contaminated. Um, but it's not, well, in this day and age, and if you live in a city, you can obtain grass-fed beef, you can obtain pasture-raised chicken, and you, if you're lucky, you can obtain wild meats. And even in those, there may be some degree of contamination, but it'll be pretty small. And having said all that, even if all you have access to is battery-farmed hens and feedlot-raised cows, it's still relatively a safe source of nutrients. So I wouldn't get too hung up on that if those foods are not obtainable. It's still the best source of nutrients, the safest source of nutrients. And why do I say the safest? Well, all plant foods contain some degree of mildly toxic substance. There's histamines, there's oxalates, there's phytates, there's lectins. There are all these phytoestrogens, particularly high in soy and flax. And there are also a bunch of micronutrients there that are not easily bioavailable. So the omega-3s that you find in plants are not bioavailable. They're in the form of ALA, which has to be converted to EPA and DHA, and the conversion rate in humans ranges from 0 to 5%. So that's not a bioavailable form of 
omega-3s, even though on paper they've got just as much omega-3. Another example of that is in iron. Many plants contain iron, but it's not bioavailable. It's not in the heme form as it is in animal foods. And so on paper it might be high in iron, but that iron is unobtainable to the human who eats it. And that's true for other... uh, Vitamin A is another one. In the plant foods, vitamin A is in the form of carotenoids, which is not bioavailable. In animal foods, it's in the form of retinol, which is bioavailable. And so plant foods can give you micronutrients and obviously some macronutrients, although, again, the macronutrients um, being protein, Proteins from plants are not as bioavailable as proteins from animal foods. They're harder to assimilate. So they don't come without a cost, the nutrients that we obtain in plants. Now, if a person has no intestinal permeability, no small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, well-functioning hydrochloric acid in their stomach and digestive processes in the rest of their digestive system. They're not inflamed. They're not carrying a low-grade chronic infection that they don't know about. They get plenty of movement. They get plenty of sunlight. They have a tribe and are well-connected socially and well-adjusted and can manage their emotions well and have strong relationships. They get plenty of movement. They sleep fantastically for at least eight hours per cycle. They aren't stressed, or if they are, it's acute short stresses that they handle well. Now, in that person, probably those um, disadvantages of a plant-based source of nutrition won't matter that much. And the person's systems will be working so efficiently that they'll still manage to extract the nutrients. However, all those things I just described are not present in all of us. Depending on who I've been seeing and what I've been doing, I sometimes wonder if they're present in any of us in the industrialised Western world. But I suspect I'm being overly pessimistic sometimes and that probably a percentage of the population in Australia does enjoy those benefits. I'd love to know what the actual percentage is because um, I don't see it very often. I don't see a person like that very often. So in that context, given that we may all have a greater or lesser degree of compromise... Animal foods are the safest way to obtain the micronutrients and macronutrients that we need. And I'm not saying that everybody has to turn around and be a nose-to-tail carnivore overnight. That's pretty challenging socially. It's quite challenging on the organism because of the adaptation process, which can take... Well, I haven't found out exactly yet. I mean, probably ranging from one week to six weeks, and that adaptation process can be unpleasant. And I don't think it's necessary to go to that extreme 
if one is relatively healthy. I do think it's probably necessary. It may be necessary to go to that extreme if one has a diagnosed autoimmune disease or several uh, cancer or recent cancer or generally inflamed and highly unhealthy. But the average person who doesn't have a diagnosis of anything like that, oh, and also people with metabolic syndrome, which means overweight, high blood pressure, diabetes, and a whole host of other things that go along with that. But if the average person is just an average person without a diagnosis of any of the above, and they feel relatively well but with symptoms that they're trying to address otherwise they wouldn't even be listening to this um, then I would still base the diet base one's ideal diet on high quality animal foods with a wide variety of organs doesn't have to be a wide variety of animals species eaten because that's dependent on where you are and how easy it is to obtain and I'm not convinced it's vitally important as much as the nose to tail and organ and fat eating aspect is. At the very minimum, a high ratio of fat to protein and definitely liver at the bare minimum for an organ. Now, everyone goes, oh, but I don't like liver. Well, how do you like being crook? And how do you like having biochemical and physiological disturbances that have only just begun, are in the process of progressing and worsening for a life, for a period of a lifetime, and failing to address those? How do you like that? And eating organ meats, obviously, if you've never eaten organ meats, is not going to taste good because it's new and all new and unusual things, not all, but many, don't taste palatable. A lot of the DNS exercises I do don't feel very palatable at all. They feel quite unpleasant, but they build my body and make me healthier and one day they won't be unpleasant, they'll be easy. And so there are plenty, plenty of recipes where you can disguise liver in meatloaf and meatballs and um, stir fries and burger patty type things. And if that's too much effort, you can order desiccated grass-fed liver capsules. There's a lot of different companies that make those. And if you want to go the step further and order not just liver, then Ancestral Supplements makes a whole heap of desiccated organ uh, tablets or whatever they are from grass-fed New Zealand-grown beef. So it's eminently available. It's very cheap if you buy it from the butcher. And like I said, it's not crucial to get the grass-fed organic and all the rest of it. It's something to aspire to over the long term. But when you're starting out, it doesn't have to be that. And then with that, obviously, the plant foods, um, for those who don't wish to go to the extreme, uh, and I'm not suggesting anyone should. I'm not. I'm not implying that at all. Um, it's different in a therapeutic context, and that's not what I'm talking about on this podcast at all. So, with plant foods, there are going to be things to be aware of. There's a lot more complication here. 
some a lot of people are sensitive to FODMAPs. So you're going to have to, if you think you are, you've got to look up what's um, what you can have and can't have in a low FODMAP diet. Some people are sensitive to histamines. Some people are sensitive to oxalates. There's salicylates, amines and glutamates you can be sensitive to. And definitely the grains and legumes in particular are very high in anti-nutrients. And what anti-nutrients do is they actually not only don't give you the micronutrients you need, they actually prevent you absorbing them when you are eating them in another source. So if you're eating a meal with meat and grains and the meat contains a whole bunch of nutrients, those grains are preventing you from absorbing the nutrients. So if you're low in iron and you're trying to eat red meat to improve your iron but you're having that with bread, then you're not going to get as much of the iron from the meat as you would. And so it's all a balance between getting the nutrients you need, having them from a relatively safe source and keeping to a minimum the many, many chemicals that exist in plants that you may or may not react to. Generally, leafy greens are pretty safe herbs are pretty safe but the nightshades can be problematic for many people that's potatoes not sweet potatoes but ordinary potatoes and everything in the pepper family so capsicums and chilies cayenne and all those and goji berries strangely so yeah, uh, that'll probably be it for just the first instalment of what's um, what's at the basis of a diet. Just the thought that what we eat, the function of what we eat should be to build us up, to, to nourish us, to give us what we need. And anything we eat that doesn't do anything for us is, a, is just a filler it's not actually, it's stopping us being hungry, but it's not actually building our body or helping to repair our body. And an example of that would be rice, bread, corn, pasta, breakfast cereals. There's nothing in those foods that helps to build us. There's virtually no nutrition. There'll be trace amounts of nutrition, but tiny, tiny in comparison to any animal food. The humble egg contains triple the nutrients of those foods. And not only are they just, okay, they're filling us up, they stop us being hungry, but that means that's displacing another more valuable food because if we're not hungry, then we're not going to eat the other more valuable food. And that filler is not harmless. It's not just going to pass through us and do nothing it requires digestion, it requires processing, that's energy and work that's been done. And then it contains anti-nutrients that have to be dealt with. It contributes to intestinal permeability, so that's another thing to fight against, another thing to devote resources to. It's like having your army constantly on full alert, whereas it could be getting its strength up and doing training and exercising and fighting a more valuable fight than than that one so those foods that we just eat without paying attention to they don't give us what we need 
and they divert resources away from where we need them. So a first step in any um, attempt to get healthy would be to eliminate those foods that give us nothing we need and take away from us. All right, enough rabbiting on for one day. Hope you've enjoyed it. Talk to you soon.